Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you have joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. Look, today we, we're actually going to do something a little bit different. And um, we, this is our last of the 21 days of uh, prayer series. And um, when Paul, when Pastor Paul suggested that we uh, actually play the play the video of the last um, series by this guy Stuart Piper, and my initial reaction was like, "Oh, I don't like videos." Um, then I watched it. And I'm like, "Hey, this is really good." So we're going to watch this together, and I trust that God will speak to you and challenge you, even though it's a video. And um, so it's not we're not just taking a, the shortcut, but it's uh, it's really good. So I trust that you'll get something out of this. So let's watch this together, and then I'll have a chat after. Good church. I'm glad that you can join us today uh, for this uh, message. Uh, join us at Queensland Baptist for 21 days of prayer in this season. I'm going to share some thoughts from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38 this morning, talking about prayer for the harvest. It says these words. Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I don't know about you, but uh, crowds make me feel uncomfortable. Uh, it's mentioned in this passage uh, about Jesus seeing a crowd. Uh, in fact, wherever Jesus went, there seemed to be crowds of people. Uh, I like my own space, and I know it's a personal preference thing, how much space people feel comfortable with. Uh, but I grew up on a farm, on a rural property, on a potato farm, actually, and our nearest neighbour was about a kilometre away from us. So for me, that felt like a lot of space. Our, um, I have an aunt and an uncle who live on a cattle property at Wandoan, and their nearest neighbour was 11 kilometres away. So at night, you couldn't even see another house light. It was just total darkness and rolling hills. They would come and visit us on our potato farm, and they would say things like, how can you stand living so close to people? It's relative, isn't it, uh, how our personal space gets impacted by other people and, and our attitude towards crowds and proximity of others. Now, I think we all uh, may have different positions on what constitutes a crowd and how we feel in that space, but we all have our own personal space and sometimes crowds can be a bit scary uh, when we can be overwhelmed with the number of people around us. I had that experience when we came out of COVID lockdown and uh, Teresa, my wife, and I went to DFO to get uh, something for a wedding uh, present. And uh, we turned up there and there was just so many people at the DFO. I, I felt awkward. I felt strange. I felt uncomfortable. I felt a little bit uh, uneasy because I wasn't used to uh, so many people being in one place at one time. Crowds can be threatening. They can make us feel uncomfortable. Now, Queensland is a popular place to live. Uh, we fared really well during COVID-19, and people from the southern states are actually moving up here to Queensland. We enjoy a great climate. We have good infrastructure and a fantastic lifestyle. Why wouldn't you want to come here? 
Uh, some research uh, that I found uh, said that uh, 25,000 people have moved to Queensland during the past financial year. And that rate of uh, interstate migration is likely to continue. And so the population is increasing, increasing in our cities, it's increasing in our suburbs, it's increasing in our regional centres. Uh, population forecasts say that that's going to continue. It may seem that there are more people around than there used to be, probably because there is. Crowds of people at our shopping centres. It's hard to get a car park sometimes. Crowds of people at Woolies and Coles buying groceries. Crowds of people at the bank or the post office. Crowds of people at the movies. Uh, crowds of people at drop-off centres. Crowds of people driving on the road, especially between the Sunshine Coast and the Gold Coast at times. Crowds are here. You can't ignore the crowds. We need to respond to the crowds. And sometimes it's easy to respond with annoyance or perhaps even resentment to the crowds. But Jesus never resented the crowds. He saw the crowds. It says this in Matthew 9.36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Crowds were no different in Jesus' day. They, they ate up limited resources. They needed somewhere to live. They needed food. Uh, they needed somewhere to park their mules and camels. Uh, in, in the biblical language, uh, the word for crowd means disorganized mob of people, a, a literal rabble of humanity. And I'm sure that the locals of Jesus' day resented the crowds and, and viewed them with, perhaps with suspicion and annoyance, as we might. Crowds trampled the grass, they made dust, they took up space, and they could be a nuisance. And so just as in Jesus' day, crowds can create problems for us. Now, crowds can be easy targets because they're nameless, they're anonymous. But I believe that Jesus didn't resent the crowds. Uh, he saw them, and perhaps he didn't see them as the mass of humanity that we might. He saw them as individuals. He saw the individuals that made up the crowd. It says in the scriptures that he saw them. He didn't just observe them. He didn't just look at them objectively. Uh, his seeing caused him to feel something, something at a heart level. He had an emotional response to the crowds. Uh, the scriptures tell us that that's, that was compassion. He had compassion, something more than sympathy. The Greek word, uh, the biblical language word in Greek uh, for this word compassion is a really strong word. And it's actually splanknizomai, splanknizomai. It even sounds like a strong word. Now, that actually means to be literally moved in one's bowels. Now, in our culture, when we say we love someone, uh, we might say, uh, I love you from the bottom of my heart. And so we believe that the heart is the seat of emotions. In the biblical context, it was, it was the bowels, it was the stomach uh, the, that was the seat of the emotions. Uh, I don't imagine it would be too popular if you uh, uh, came to your girlfriend or your wife on Valentine's Day and said, I love you from the bottom of my bowels. doesn't quite have the same ring to it. But there's this thought here that Jesus was moved to compassion, uh, that, that there was something that had a visceral effect on him, a visceral effect on him. And he's moved to physical pain by what he saw in the crowd. Now, he felt sick in his stomach by what he saw. 
When I used to work in Toowoomba, I uh, would transit every day when I was a boiler maker there in Toowoomba. I used to live in Gatton, just outside of Gatton, and, and drive to Toowoomba. And I was coming home one afternoon, and I'd stopped at Withcott, which is at the bottom of the Toowoomba range on the Bruce Highway, and I'd filled up the car, and I'd bought an ice block, and I was heading off again, and in front of me, as I was coming up the highway speed in front of me, uh, an elderly lady turned in front of oncoming traffic, turned right, and was hit side on by another car going 100 kilometres an hour. And her car just flew in the air and she was tossed around like a rag doll and it landed facing the other way in the ditch. Now, I felt sick about that. I felt sick when I saw that car accident. I believe that that is what compassion is like. Uh, I didn't feel sick for the car. Oh, what a pity that that car had been damaged. I feel sick for the occupant, that poor person. What have they just endured and what state are they in? I believe that that's approximating the kind of feeling that Jesus had when he saw the crowds. The crowds were a pain to Jesus, but not in the way we might think. Though crowds were a pain to Jesus because he loved the individuals that made up the crowd and he hated the situation that they were in. And crowds had a personal impact on Jesus. And I think that is because he saw their desperate need. It says this in Matthew nine thirty six, if we follow on, that he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the plight of the crowds. He saw their dysfunction. He saw their brokenness. He saw their selfishness. He saw their addictions. He saw their self-defeating behavior. He saw their illnesses. He saw their diseases. He saw the consequences of their sins and the sins of others against them. He saw through the bravado, the stoicism, the hypocrisy and the religiosity to the lostness and insecurity that they had. It says that they were harassed and helpless. In, in the biblical language, that means to be distressed, to be flung around and violently tossed. It sounded a lot like what I saw when that lady's car got hit. She was flung around, violently tossed. And Jesus sees the crowds in that light. Sheep without a shepherd. Do you know that a sheep without a shepherd is as good as dead? The sheep without a shepherd can't have access to food and, and water. Sheep without a shepherd uh, have no defences against predators. They're as good as dead. Now, Jesus saw this immediate plight of the crowds. He saw their immediate situation and had compassion on them. Here they are at the mercy of the world and enslaved by their own sinfulness and subject to the torment of the devil, demons and disease. But I believe he also saw something else. He saw the ultimate future of the crowds. He saw their immediate plight, but he also saw their ultimate need and the ultimate future for them. For apart from a reconciled relationship with God, they, as we do, face an eternal judgment. And so Jesus says these words in verse 37 of Matthew 9. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Now, we might think of harvest in positive terms, and it's right to do so. I mean, uh, I was a farmer before I was a pastor, and we always look forward to harvest because harvest is when you've got a return for your investment. It's when the opportunity to actually pay back down the overdraft and, and make a profit. And, and, and we might think of the harvest in Jesus' words in this context of being people ready to turn to God. 
And it's good and right to think in those terms. But there's also another way of viewing harvest, and that's the Old Testament. Harvest was a metaphor that mostly referred to the judgment and wrath of God. There's a couple uh, verses of scripture from the Old Testament that, that uh, speak to this. Isaiah 17 verse 10 to 11 says this, Because you have turned from the God who can save you, you have forgotten the rock who can hide you. Your only harvest will be a load of grief and unrelieved pain. And in Joel, Joel 3.13, it says this, Swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, trample the grapes, for the winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Now, I think that Jesus had compassion on the crowds, not be, just because of their immediate problems, but also because of the, he saw the reality of their eternal punishment and an eternal punishment that we all face apart from a saving relationship with God. He saw their desperate need to be saved, their desperate need of a saviour. And people have that same desperate need today, don't they? Uh, Jesus responded to the crowds and their desperate need. He did all he could do to help. Read in verse 35 that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And Jesus saw with his eyes, he was moved in his heart and he responded with his hands. He was moved to action. His compassion for the plight of people was not an academic thing. He didn't stop at an emotional response. His, his feelings translated into concrete actions. So you can imagine I'm driving down the highway. I see this car accident in front of me. This lady's tossed around. Her car's dented and banged up and flew through the air and landed in a ditch. And I felt compassion. I felt sick about that, about what had happened. Uh, what kind of person would I be if I kept driving? Going, well, I hope that works out for her. I hope that someone comes and helps her. I couldn't do that. I stopped. As, many, as, as soon as I could safely do so, I stopped and uh, had to toss away my ice block. Couldn't enjoy that anymore. And when, and, and when I could cross the road safely, I did so, and I was able to render aid to this lady. Now, I thought she'd been killed for sure. But, uh, and, and if the car that hit her had hit her uh, 30 centimetres more to the front, uh, I'm sure that she would have been killed or at least seriously injured. But I found her still in a conscious state, semi-conscious. She was obviously concussed and with no serious injuries, I was able to get her out of the car and render first aid until the ambulance came to attend to her and take her to hospital. Jesus went to where the people were to render aid to them. These that were lost, these people who were like sheep without a shepherd, tossed around. He didn't stand on the outside. He got involved. He crossed the road for them. He healed people. He gave practical assistance. Uh, he also gave authority uh, to uh, his followers to drive out evil spirits and heal the sick. What can be more practical than healing a sick person? So Jesus got involved. He did all he could do to help. And more importantly, he addressed their ultimate needs. So he addressed their immediate needs. But he also addressed their ultimate needs, needs by talking about spiritual realities, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Uh, good news that's the same today, that God's rule has broken into this world in the coming of the Lord Jesus and that people need to turn and put their trust in Jesus and receive life from God, everlasting life. 
And this is the message that he has entrusted to us as his followers to continue to proclaim. So Jesus cared for people practically, but he didn't leave it at that. He addressed not only the symptoms of their problem, but the cause of humanity's problems, sin and rebellion against God. Trying to do life on your own without God doesn't ever work out. His compassion and his love for humanity moved into action. And the ultimate action for Jesus was to die on the cross and take on the sin of the world and, the, and, and all our diseases upon him so that we could be healed and receive his life. Now, Jesus calls us to continue his mission in the world. Matthew 9, again, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. With so many lives hanging in the balance, so many crowds of people, there's a real sense of urgency to the words of Jesus here. This is a life and death situation. People's eternal futures hang in the balance. And we need to open our eyes to see the situation of the crowds in our communities around us. God's chosen means of reaching people and bringing them to himself is to use other people, people like you and I, ordinary people. God hasn't mechanized salvation. I'm sure that it'd be much more efficient for God to use the angels. I think they're probably a lot more obedient than, than we are as, as fallible human beings. But that's not how he set it up. That's not how he set it up. He's called us into this mission of, of reaching people with the good news of Jesus. But there's a labor shortage. Jesus is pointing to a labor shortage of this project of God saving people for himself. He needs workers. He needs laborers because the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is ready. We need to grasp the gravity of this situation and not be indifferent to the great need around us. You can't say that you love Jesus and be indifferent to the plight of people. God has a passion for compassion and he calls us to have the same heart. So in response to this labor shortage, Jesus calls us to an unlikely action, an unlikely first action. His priority isn't get planning. His priority isn't start doing missional things. His priority isn't get out as fast as you can and do the job, organize some great programs. His first instruction is to pray. His first instruction is to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. It's amazing. This is where it starts, with faith-filled prayer. We need to pray that God will send out workers. Essentially, what Jesus is uh, commanding or saying we should pray for is revival. He's asking us to pray for revival. The first prayer priority is to pray for workers. It's not even to pray for those that need saving in the harvest. It's to pray that people would go out into the harvest field to see and feel what Jesus did for the crowds. Now, this is not a prayer for someone to go and for God to send out random people and, and to go out gently. This is actually a, a really strong compelling word here this the word send out send out is the same word that's used to describe how jesus uh expelled demons from people it means to drive out to compel you see when we pray when we pray to the lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest we're getting involved we're getting involved in in god's movement in his mission 
Isaiah spent time in God's presence. And when God asked Isaiah the question, who is going to go? Who can I send? Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. Quite often uh, when we're praying for the Lord of the harvest, we're saying, here I am, Lord, send him. We expect someone else to go. We think that our prayer uh, would um, involve someone else being compelled to go out and, and not perhaps us. And so in our prayer, we need to pray for the compassion of Jesus to overcome our prejudices, the compassion of Jesus to overcome our laziness, the compassion of Jesus to overcome our disinterest, the compassion of Jesus to overcome our selfishness and our fears. And as God changes us, as God revives and renews us, as we pray to the Lord of Harvest, as we see the plight of the crowds, as we ask God to send the compassion of Jesus into our hearts to move us to action, that we're actually becoming the answer to those prayers. That as God changes us, we become the answer to our prayers. May my prayer is that we would have our eyes open to see that the harvest is here. There's so much need in our communities, so much loneliness, so much loss, and so much dysfunction, so much confusion, so much brokenness. And to see with Jesus' eyes and to be moved in the, our hearts as Jesus was. And he calls us to our knees first in faith-filled prayer, and in so doing, we join his mission. But like Jesus, we would see the need of our community with our eyes. That we would feel the compassion of Jesus with our hearts. That we would fall to our knees as a first action. And then with our hands and feet, we would go and serve those in our community and extend to them, bring to them the good news about Jesus. Would you join me in prayer? Will you join me in these 21 days of seeking revival? Will you join me in being the answer to that prayer, that, to be a, a worker? resonated with a lot of what he was saying. Stuart Piper um, is one of the guys who is leading our Baptist Union movement. And uh, he's got, they're, they're doing some incredible things in the Baptist Union is, is amazing right now. Great place for us as a church to be a part of and connected with these guys. But um, how, how's that? That word splang mizamai uh, moved from our, from our place of in, inside. Uh, and I just wanted to sort of encourage us as a church that would we take hold of this challenge as a church to be moved to compassion to the people around us? That wouldn't, wouldn't just, you know, hi, yeah, that's great. But it would actually move our, us into a place of prayer, move us to a place of action. Uh, would we as a church... Consider praying continually for the people around us, not just as a, um, someone else do it, but what can I do in that space? And so um, I, I love the saying that um, it's not the, the people who turn up on Sunday that show you the church health. It's the people who go on Monday. It's the people who are intentional in their week about seeing people who, have, who, are, who are broken and hurting receiving health. And both a physical, spiritual, mental health as a church, we can, we can play, play a significant part impacting our society. But there's this, this is op opportunity for us to actually be involved and to be obedient to what God is placing in our heart. I've got a family member, um, that we're cousins and... Um, when when we were both both little, she she had a place on her heart, a absolute passion 
full mission, absolute passion for people. And all she wanted to do was get out there and help people and go out to the broken, hurting people in the world. And uh, that was just, it drove her. And that was her, her passion and motivation for going through school. But uh, when, when she went through school, her, her parents talked her out of that. There's no money. It's not a, it's not a viable uh, outcome. It's, you know, you're not going to, you're going to struggle to survive. It's, you're not going to have all the, all the benefits and healthy things that you would normally get. And uh, so, so they, got, they talked her out of it, and uh, she spent the last 20 years wandering without a purpose. And, and it's just been devastating as a, as a close family member seeing someone that you love dearly lose their place of purpose and to be talked out of what, what they're called to. And I think it's, that's an extreme example, but I think in, for many of us that can be said of us that we, we aren't moved to a place of obedience or we're moved to a place of reaching out and connecting to a hurting, broken world. And uh, so I would love to just pray for us as a church that we would take hold of prayer. There's 21 days of prayer that we would maybe revisit some of these devotions that we've been putting out. They are fantastic. Would we, would we be encouraged to, to have prayer that moves us and moves us to a place of obedience? Let me pray as I invite the team up. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are such a good God, Lord. You, you show compassion, Lord, to the crowds. You didn't, you didn't reject the crowd. You didn't reject the people. You saw their need and you were moved. Lord, would you move our church? Lord, would you move our hearts? And so would you open our eyes to the needs around us? And not just so that we can see them, but so we can respond to them. So, Lord, would you stretch us? Would we pray faith-filled prayer for the lost, that they would receive the, the beautiful gift of eternal life, Lord, but the beautiful gift of your presence now? that they'd enjoy you. The joy of the Lord would be their strength right now. So would we be moved to a higher purpose? Would you put someone on our heart even now, someone on our heart to, to start to pray for, to start investing in, to start speaking life and truth into, to start loving on? Lord, would you place someone in our hearts that we can intentionally be your church right now? But Lord, would you send workers out into the harvest field? Lord, would you, would you encourage us to continue to pray for more, more workers? Not more programs, not more doing, but more people to simply be obedient to you. So, Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for this great word this morning. And I pray that you will resonate this through our week. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks, Sam. Church, let's stand. We have two songs to finish that song.